Content warning. The episode of The Nanny we discuss includes some transphobic humour, which we begin to discuss about 34 minutes into the show. Hello and welcome to Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I'm Ben. I'm Mandy. And it's been a couple of weeks. Mandy, how are you doing? I, I'm doing well. How, how are you doing? I'm good. Obviously, we don't see each other except when we're recording these podcasts. <laughs> it's the foundation of our relationship. Yeah, we we do live together, but we just wear blinders yeah. and uh, scream when the other person is entering the room so we don't see each other. So we can really like, capture the magic on yeah, we really the want, podcast. The dynamic on the show is really most important to us. And I have asked for a large wooden partition to separate us when we are uh, getting married so that we can't look at or hear each other. Because no. I really want to preserve what we have uh, here. <laughs> um, I suppose we should probably mention the one thing that we've shifted to a uh, once every two weeks schedule. Yeah, Just for a little bit. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it just makes sense in terms of scheduling. I'm also now editing the game of Rassilon. I'm trying to edit jump leads. So I have a lot of editing stuff on my plate. Yeah. Um, I am going, with this episode, I am going to have Mandy shadow me while I edit so that Mandy can learn how to edit as well. How are you feeling about learning how to edit? That was originally the plan when we were recording yesterday, and now we're not recording yesterday, so I don't know when that's happening. Uh, I mean, I will start editing tomorrow, and then you can watch me edit some more on Tuesday, unless you have another class on Tuesday. Uh- We'll figure it out. Yeah. It might be the next one. It might, <laughs> might have to yeah. start with the next one. Because I also have work to do. That's the other thing. I have two jobs. Yeah, so. we, we both have a lot of shit to do, which is which has made scheduling tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do on this podcast when we can schedule the time to do it? Well, what we're supposed to do is watch an episode of the 90s sitcom The Nanny, starring Fran Drescher. And then we talk about the episode that we just saw and outline its shortcomings and appraise it. Um, on a 72-point scale. You're you're very, like, focused on the shortcomings, which I feel like is a very negative energy. Like, we're yeah. not just here to analyze its shortcomings. That implies that we're always just looking for shortcomings. Well, The Nanny is such a brilliant, perfect show that really the only place to go with it is to look at where it falls short. No, I feel like it's uh, uh, partly because it is an undervalued show, mm. it is worth it to kind of... Just analyze it and see what holds up and what doesn't. Congratulations, you've seen through my very clever bit. So I want to reward you with a small... With a dollar? With a dollar. The $20? You're going to give me $30? <laughs> one dollar. A single dollar. You're going to give me $45? I'm going to give you one dollar. You're going to give me $64? $64? <laughs> Support one dollar. You're going to give me $69? That's very nice of you. I'm a nice person, but it's $1. No. $4.20. No. It's really the only place you can go with it next. It's a hundred nickels. <laughs> Awful. So the episode we are watching, if you're watching it on DVD in broadcast order, this is season two, episode nine, Stock Tip. If you're watching it on HBO Max, however... It is season two, episode seven, Stock Tip. Yes, I don't think we're going to get in sync again, ever. I don't think it's happening. Yeah, it looks like it's just going to be off for a bit. Which I'm fine with. Uh, Do you want to just jump into it? Oh, yeah. All right. (laughs) 
So this episode starts off with everyone in the kitchen, and it's one of those ones where they're all chatting and making jokes, making some light references to things that will happen the rest of the episode. Yeah, uh, what happens is Niles and Fran are sitting at the the table in the kitchen, uh, just reading the script. <laughs> they're and like, they oh yeah, on page four, I'm going to go to a grocery store. And oh, I like doing that because I like to try to get men. And Cece is there and they make fun of Cece because she shops at nighttime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, so Cece is also badgering Maxwell. Cece wants to get a, a, a holiday home, right? Like a vacation yes. house. Yeah, she's like, check out this investment. I don't think that she actually says like what the investment is until later. Yeah. Um, it's, it but is... it's like, oh, investment, that'll be a theme of the episode. Yeah, it's like she wants to, it's a house in Martha's Vineyard? Yes, like a vacation home. Yeah. And she just wants it. And Max was like, nah. And be like, ooh, we can invest our monies into it. And be like, well, it's a business. What's the business use of it? And be like, I want one. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't really. <laughs> She just wants it. So Fran takes Grace to the fancy supermarket. How sure are you that it's Grace? I'm very sure. What makes you so sure? Maggie's the big one. Yeah, Maggie's the big one. Gracie's the itty bitty one. Yeah, Gracie's the little one. Yeah. Brighton's the boy! (laughs) That was so loud. Wow. Look at that. Look at that waveform. Brighton's the boy! I don't know what that was. Boyton. Boyton? Boyton. Are we calling him that, that oh, now? Boyton. So Grace and Fran go to the supermarket. Fran is giving Grace all these great tips about how to pick up men, which is, which are very useful to her at this very young, tender age. If there's a box of Midol, keep moving. <laughs> Corn pads means he lives with his mother. Learn that the hard way. <laughs> and if you see two guys with sweaters tied around their necks buying pesto, save yourself the pain. <laughs> Um, there's also, she just like, uh, brushes off a guy because he has foods that make you fart. And she was like, that's gonna be a bad date. I'm like, that's assuming that he's putting all of these foods together. No, that's, he's not gonna do that. He's gonna take you to Jack in the Box. It's fine. Yeah, that's not gonna make you toot at all. No. Just as long as you don't get like the the grilled cheeseburger that they have in the munchy meal box, or the or the mini tacos. I love me some Jack in the Box mini tacos, or the flavor blasted chicken nuggies that they do sometimes, Ooh. which have like the melted cheese and bacon bits and whatever the hell on top. It's a good time. Let's just talk about Jack in the Box for the rest of the episode. <laughs> this well, is a Jack in the Box podcast. It's a Jack now. in the Pod. <laughs> um, so she, yeah, she looks in this one guy's basket, one guy's cart. He pretends not to see her because he is a paid extra and is not allowed to speak. And then she uh, is approached by a man who says, "The very corner line of you've obviously never been on a diet in your life, but uh, are these sugar-free? It's fat-free cakes. Are these fat-free cakes any good? Because in it's something of like this is so much of its time and is a very different uh, realm as to what diet foods are, where everything now is like." Full fat, no carbs. Yeah. Back then it was like no fat, all carbs. Fran has a great uh, joke in response to this. You know, you smear them with some butter and then you fry them lightly on both sides and then a squirt of whipped cream puts it right over the top. That's what you have to do to make them taste like anything. And the man, who we want to stress, this man, by the way, gets a cheer from the audience. And the reason he gets a cheer from the audience is this is Corbin Burnson, who you may recognize that name if you're familiar with L.A. Law. Which I wasn't. He was in, more recently, he was in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Which I had seen, but I didn't remember him in it. 
And if you have ever watched Star Trek The Next Generation, he's in the Season 3 episode, Deja Q. He appears as the other Q that gives the John Delancey Q his Q powers back. He is uncredited. Yeah, something for the for the Trekkies and the because we do yeah. we do have a surprising overlap of Star Trek: The Next Generation people and uh, nanny people. Yeah, because there's a lot of a lot of people from well not not in the sense of like gargoyles. Gargoyles uses a lot of next gen people, but there's some like guest there's a lot of guest stars who appear in one and the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because they're just sh- like when did Next Generation air? Started in the late '80s and it continued airing into the early to mid 90s okay so this was like kind of airing congruently yeah this this season is airing i think during the same year as next generation's last season but it's airing at the same time as like deep space nine second season so there's a pool it's the same pool of actors basically um so corbin bernson whose name character name i do not recall but I know that he has one because it's said multiple times throughout the episode. I can't. I feel weird. His, his name was Glenn Mitchell in the actual. Anyway, the problem with calling things Q now, the same way of, oh, yeah. uh, like my last name has a Q in it. And like my dad in the Navy got referred to as Q. Um, my little AIM uh, screen name when I was a kid was I'm Little Q. And now um, some some people ruined that letter for the rest of us. It's a shame. Star Trek fans really do ruin everything in the end. <laughs> it's just horrible. No. But yeah, so this this fella's name is uh, Glenn. Glenn. Glenn Mitchell. Glenn Mitchell successfully hits on Fran in a supermarket. Personally, I like whipped cream. On everything. <laughs> Ooh, ha. Fran's having a great time. Yeah, they're flirting. She's trying to figure out stuff about him. Grace keeps trying to bring over sugary breakfast cereals and just stuffing them in the box, in, in the car. It's this great little thing of, like, Fran just wa- waving her And every time Grace comes back and she has, like, more giant boxes of cereal. It's pretty good. It's good shit. And the scene ends with Glenn and Fran agreeing to go on a date together, I believe. Oh, yeah. So he does mention, so she's trying to figure out uh, job things, and he does say... That he, he works, works on, on Wall Street. Street. Jinx, will... you owe me a cola. There you go. Would you like some of my pomegranate swell? I don't want to take the last trip. It's the last trip. Go for it. No, you do it. You you owe me my own cola. No colas for Mandy. So cut to interior Maxwell House day. And Fran is waiting for Glenn to arrive. Yes. Uh, before that, they do have a breakfast scene. Yes, they um, do. Yep, you're right. It is a it is a great little bit of Niles trying to fancily serve all of the sugary breakfast cereals and Pop Tarts. He he has put Pop Tarts in one of those fancy like toast holders. Yes. And is like offering them to them. And Maxwell is into it. Maxwell is into it the kind of way like he gives his compliments to Niles. Like he thinks Niles made all this. Niles, you have really outdone yourself this time. Thank you, sir. Another pop tart. (laughs) One of the things I find very interesting about this scene is they spend a lot of time referencing very specific cereal mascots. But all of the cereal boxes have been made by the prop team. They are very clearly like non-legit cereals. They're designed designed to look... Um, kind of generic and non non brand specific, but they they do reference like Snap Crackle and Pop, and they do reference the Wheaties box. Yeah, like because this is how we get into our B plot, which is a Brighton looks at a box cereal and realizes that he looks just like <laughs> Snap 
from the Rice Krispie treats. And decides he wants to overhaul his entire look. Yeah, he needs a new aesthetic. He's like, oh wait, I'm a I'm a small white boy. I'm I'm Boyton. I would like to not be Boyton anymore. And it does his thing is kind of culturally appropriative later. Yeah. But we will we will cross that Brighton when we he come to it. He wants to be a white little hip hop boy. Yeah. He has a big old boombox. You know, we'll talk about it when we get there. Grace spends the rest of the episode kind of zooming through scenes. Oh yeah, she just has the zoomies. Yeah, she's she is a cat with no collar zooming around sets. Coming in, like, stage left and exiting stage right, saying hi, bye. And that's all we see of her for the rest of the episode. And typically just, like, grabbing a thing of cereal. Like, when we see her for the rest of the time, she's just grabbing one of the cereal things and running away. She comes becomes a cereal gremlin. Yeah, I hope it was- I hope this was a fun episode for her to- for her to make. Because she has to be, like, sad kid all the time. And I know she's not actually sad, but it's a boring thing to have to do. And this is like, hey, just run. Just act (laughs) hyper and run. Just run through the scene and go, Yeah. You know Gollum, who hasn't been invented yet, or hasn't been seen on the big screen yet? Just do that. Just be a little gremlin. Little gremlin. (laughs) 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 For about an hour. And then, so, Fran mentions that she pulled out the supermarket. Uh, Maxwell gives her some shit for that. Yeah, it gives her some shit. Also makes fun of her wardrobe. It's a very nice outfit that Fran is wearing. We're kind of like vertical stripes yeah she has a vertical stripe blazer which i'm pretty sure she's worn before but, but this it, time she's wearing it with like a blue dress underneath yeah and it kind of it doesn't like come to a, a seam like all of the strips end in different the colored strips end in different places yeah which i really like, like yeah aesthetically, it's a it's very, very nice, nice i'm pretty sure it was like it was their last season um but this is like something freshing in it she's also wearing uh blue tights that are mm-hmm. not opaque they are sheer tights mm-hmm. it's a it's a good outfit yeah but he's like he's giving her shit for it and gives her the be- like gives her the bowl of fruit and it was like oh this is your hat I feel like the easier joke is you look like a TV test signal. Like, because that's what she looks like. She doesn't look like Carmen Miranda. She looks like um, our daily broadcast has now ended. Here's a test signal. Yeah. But, you know, Maxwell's giving a shit. Matt, this is, here's the thing. On a serialized uh, narrative level, this is Maxwell giving her shit because she's going on a date with someone who isn't him. And he, whether he is consciously aware of it or not, likes her and mm. wants to do the horizontal hokey cokey with her and be in love with her and have a relationship. But just in isolation, he's just being a dick. Yeah, he's just being a dick and being a dick about like, again, I'm pretty sure she's worn this before. Yeah, it's nothing new. And if yeah. here's the thing, even if it is something new, it's it's a very similar colour palette to like fifty other things she's definitely yeah. worn. And it's it's kind of an annoying thing of like because we're at this point now of like the will they won't they where they're not gonna actually do anything or acknowledge the relationship. He's just going to be a dick whenever she goes on a date and we can't we can't stop for a moment and go, Hey, why are you being a dick though? Yeah. Anyway Glenn knocks on the door and uh Fran says, oh, that'll be my stockbroker boyfriend. And and Maxwell, to his credit, and I think he does this to make things seem more impressive for Fran, says, I'll have my butler from England get answer the door. Which I thought was very nice. Unless there's another reading of it. Did you did you interpret that differently? Um, I interpreted it again as uh him mocking her because she mm. said specifically before that's my that's my stock 
broker date from Wall Street. And mm. then he's like, oh, I'll get my butler from England and like mocking the way that she yeah. is saying it. Oh, that must be Glenn, my stockbroker from the grocery store. Niles, my butler from England, will answer it. And just be like, we all have people. We all know people from places. We know how people are. Glenn comes in. Fran's excited to see him. He's excited to see her. Fran introduces him to Maxwell. And this is where the narrative of the story begins. Because Glenn and Maxwell, I fuck each other to death. When a guy... Glenn is really into Chester Meffield. It's like, oh, I saw your play six times. He is going hard. There's a naked lady statue that has never existed before. There's yeah. right now <laughs> a like, naked lady statue. Everything Glenn says can be summarized thusly. Wow, loved your play. Saw it six times. It's Adam and Eve, isn't it? Whoa, look at that statue. Nice tits. And that's really what it boils down to. And then we find out, so the, the naked lady statue... Um, uh, Chester Meffield is like, oh, I have the companion piece up in my bedroom. Let's go. What do we think that companion piece could be? Um, His bed. I think they just go up and fuck. Yeah. Like, it's just a very <laughs> horny, horny bit. And even, like, Fran uh, comments on it. Oh, no, they're going to smooch. And then she runs upstairs. Like, yes. I get the I get the idea of oh Maxwell and Glenn are bonding and they really like each other and then that kind their relationship and their friendship takes precedence over Glenn's relationship with Fran. But it really reads as oh Maxwell wants to wants to doink Glenn because the first thing he does is oh would you like to come up to my bedroom Glenn? Oh Maxwell, I would love to do that for one very innocuous reason and that is to look at a tiny sculpture of tits. No other Do we reason. know if it's tits or it could be a bingus? It could be a bingus, but you know what? Maybe it's tits. Maybe it's just more tits. It could but just be more tits. We have not at this point seen Maxwell Sheffield's bedroom. What, who's to say that it isn't wall-to-wall tits? <laughs> who's to say his, his, his entire... I just, why would he have the downstairs tits if he has a shrine to tits upstairs? Also, why was the statue out? Like, not to be a, uh, like, not to be a prude. I think that it's fine to have, like, a titty statue out, even if you have kids. It's like, yeah, it's fine. kids are going to see tits. Yeah. Uh, they can see it some, for some lovely artwork. It's not very erotic or anything. It's, it's not anything that is unsafe to be seen. That being said, I don't feel like Maxwell would be cool with all his kids seeing tits. So why is this titty statue here? I will, I will explain to you exactly why this titty statue is here. Again, Maxwell's bedroom, we have not seen it. It is wall to wall, floor to ceiling, tits. Tits for days, statues, paintings, models, casts, artist impressions, renderings. On the wall, on the ceilings, on the floor, the carpet is rugged. It's all these little shapes, it's circles within circles. What do they represent, of course? Tits. It is a struggle. For Maxwell Sheffield to climb out of bed every day because the minute he leaves that room, he thinks, I won't be able to see the tits anymore. And he knows that's his daily struggle. So every day he leaves his room after much power, after much soul searching, after much difficulty, he climbs out of bed, he gets dressed, he goes downstairs. And when he gets to the bottom of the stairs, he realizes, I need to see a tit. And before he put the statue there, he would turn around and he'd go back to his bedroom. Now he gets to the bottom of the stairs, there's a statue, there's a tit. Ah, I am sated. On to breakfast. I want you and the audience to know that when you start talking about this and the the way that uh, Chester Mayfield just has to hoard tits made me cover my own tits protectively. <laughs> holding them. The show is cancelled. Keeping he them safe. He can't hurt you anymore. 
The show lasted six seasons. He's got all the tits he's going to get. So we cut to, it's uh, after the date, and it's in Maxwell's office. Cece is once again pestering Maxwell about like, oh, here is this thing that we should get. We should get a vacation house. It's a good investment. I want something in Martha's Vineyard. And Chester Buffield's like, no. That's exactly what it sounds like. Fran also comes in, uh, and that's when there is a call. From Glenn Mitchell. Yeah. But it's not for Fran. It's for Maxwell. And they have a delightful little chat. It's very friendly. There's a lot of heely hee haws coming from Maxwell. And at the end, he goes, uh, Yes, Fran's right here. And then he hangs up. He just hangs up immediately. He's like, Oh, yeah. Uh, he said hi. Yeah. He said hi. And, and yeah. Very- and it's almost unclear whether, like, was it because afterward the, uh, he said hi. I was like, Did Glenn not? want to talk to you or did you just hang up on both of them because you're still trying to sever that relationship based on what we learn at the end of the episode i think it is that glenn has found a mark yeah but not in a he's a con man kind of way he is a little bit but i to, to glenn's credit i actually don't think he's necessarily that much of a bad person i think he's just stupid and we'll come to that yeah we will come to that and that reminds me of so the reason why fran was in this room to begin with is because she needs money because boyton has got all psyched out about the fact that he looks like he belongs on a sugary cereal box and so he wants a whole new look he looked like a elf and he would not like look like a elf he would prefer to be a boy so fran takes him shopping on for some reason, Wall Street. Well, we see them going past. Uh, they're walking out. Boyton has his new look, and it's just, hey, let's pretend to be black. It's the, it's his. He's got a big kind of '90s boombox. He's wearing his baseball cap, all bunch of different directions. He's wearing very baggy trousers. Uh, for um, it, they do the whole like you're wearing your trousers too low. Pull them up. But it's like I like the big baggy hip hop. It's very, it's very 90s hip-hop aesthetic. It reminded me of... I remember when Married with Children was on all the time when I was a kid. And there's a whole... There's a season-long arc where... God, I cannot remember what the boy's name is in Married with Children. But he changes his, his name. He goes by a cool new name. He's trying to be hip and fresh. Um, and then at the end of the season, it's revealed that everything that happened in that season, including, I think, Peggy Bundy's pregnancy, was a dream that Al Bundy was having. <laughs> but that's what this immediately put me in mind of, was just like... Also, he's wearing almost the exact same clothes as Poochie the Rockin' Dog from that from the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show in The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, so there's a real kind of Poochie vibe. They're poochifi- the poochification of Boynton has begun here. How about a nice hot dog? I'm thinking sauerkraut, red onions. Ooh, and a little mayonnaise. Okay, can I have the aroma? <laughs> There's a little bit where Fran is like moving his hat all different ways and be like, no, this is the cool way to wear a hat. Because she's she's the one who would know. Yeah. She was in This Is Spinal Tap. <laughs> yeah. The hot dog vendor uh, turns to look at them and who is it but Glenn Mitchell? Glenn Mitchell, hot dog vendor extraordinaire. I didn't, wasn't trying to make that musical, but, but it came out did. that way. It came out, okay, you, sometimes you come out singing. <laughs> Um, by which I mean I, I out myself as queer in a musical form. Aw. Yeah. Whenever the me being bi would come up, which it did frequently, like from the same people, I would just post the song Getting By yeah. on Facebook. It's perfect. It's a good song. So Fran is pissed off with Glenn because she's like, you told me you were a stockbroker and Glenn reveals, actually, I think you'll find 
I said I worked on Wall Street. You said I was a stockbroker. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is also a worrying thing because uh, part of the phone call Jester Metfield had had with him was like, oh, you have a new stock tip and I'm going to go over to the club this evening and I'm going to give you a bunch of money for this stock. For this for this insider dollars. trading that we are doing it's right now. It's, it's illegal on like three different layers. Even if you in, even if you consider the fraud of I'm a I'm a, a stockbroker. No, you're not. You are hot dog man. And then the oh well, you're giving me this insider's tip. None of this is kosher. All no. of this is bad. Um, Fran goes home. She's in the kitchen with Niles. They're talking through what their possible solutions are. And at no point do they suggest killing Glenn, which is weak. Yes. Fran's weak. I'm sorry. Fran, Fran, fine, I love you, you are a role model, but you did not consider murder. And for that, I'm afraid, I'm out. Shark Tank. <laughs> yeah, they're deciding the thing, and Niles brings up, like, well, then you should talk to Chester Meffield's business advisor. Fran's like, that's great. Who's the business advisor? And Cece walks in. And now we've, we finally have confirmation, like, that's what that's Cece what does. does. Cece is the reason why Maxwell hasn't just run everything into the ground. Like, she is the one who's doing most of the things. It turns out the implication is that she actually does have a good mind for business, which, this being the 90s, explains why she's so cold. Because in the 90s, we're still... I mean, in 1994, which is when this season was had begun airing, we're still you know, knee-deep in or kind of coming out of that kind of greed-is-good mentality of the 80s, the kind mm-hmm. of... Not Wolf of Wall Street. The other, the the uh, the one that uh, the guy was in. Yeah. You know that guy. Was yes. it a movie that was just Wall Street? It's, yeah, it's Wall Street. And then they had a sequel called Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. Money Never Sleeps. Um, Money Never Sleeps sounds like the tagline for a money-themed Batman villain. Who's probably called the Wolf of Wall Street, actually. That's that's probably all it is. But yeah, like, we're four years removed from the greed is good mentality, but that type of character still has a lot of pull and a lot of sway, and that's really what um, what CC is, and what CC has been for the last season and a half. We just haven't been in a position to kind of see her in her element. Because yeah. up until now, she seemed kind of like a hanger-on. And we've been told business partner, but in what sense? Mm-hmm. And now we know she's the one who... <laughs> Makes money happen. Yeah, I mean, she is likely the one, based on everything that we've kind of seen of how Chester Meffield does business versus how she does business, mm. Chester Meffield is likely the one with the initial investment yeah. or the one who, like, because he has a name and stuff like that of, like, we can get in the door and you can you can schmooze people with your British accent and people will give us money. It's true. It and CC is the one to actually get the shit done. Yeah, she, she deposits the checks in the business account, so to speak. Fran has to go to uh, CC and Fran was like, no, CC hates me. You should do it, Niles. And I was like, nah, she hates me. And then Maggie happens to come down and uh, Fran and Niles are like, which one does CC hate more? It's a good question. Because what you have in one, co- in this corner, we have Niles. Niles who constantly berates, abuses, and makes crude innuendo at, for, and about CC Babcock. And in this corner, you have Fran Fine, who is sexy, and Maxwell likes that, making Cece feel threatened. Who will win in this clash of the Titans? Inexplicably, it's Niles, because Niles is just constantly piling it on. 
And and uh, all Fran did was have tits. Yeah. Do you do you agree with Maggie's assessment? I think for this episode, yes. I think it varies from episode to episode. Yeah, because I would I would almost disagree. Of like, Cece, it is her hatred of Fran that almost allows Niles to get the digs in. Yeah. Like, so much of it is Niles being like, hey, there's a sexy lady stealing the guy that you want. And so it's it depends on Fran being there, whereas Fran can't do the same thing with Niles. But like, look at Niles doing that thing that you hate. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So I would say that Cece hates Fran more. Interesting. Okay. I think I honestly think it depends on the plot. I think yeah. right now... It might be Niles. That definitely changes when Fran goes to CCCCCCC in Chester Merfield's office. Yeah. Because she's on the phone trying to broker a deal or some such thing. Is she on the phone? No, she's just writing. Yes. She's on the phone just writing. Nope. (laughs) She's writing at Chester Merfield's desk and Fran walks in with circular sandwiches. Like, it's not just the corners have been cut off. It's not just the crusts have been cut off. It's in... Purely circular. There are no harsh edges for Cece to cut her delicate little mouth on. <laughs> and Fran is very friendly. She made flowers with the tomato. Flowers with the tomato. She's very. She comes in. She's very friendly and jovial and hi. And Cece's smart. Yeah. This is the thing you've you've been saying this for a season and a half. Cece is is a sharp sharp egg. Sharp egg? Is that what people say? <laughs> I don't know. If that's Cece's what I've a sharp egg. Ooh, you're gonna cut yourself on that egg. That egg's so sharp. Uh, this is why we cut eggs into round, round shapes to avoid. Cut. Um, she's a uh, she's she's got a, she's got a sharp egg, and <laughs> she know she knows something is up. Yeah. First thing she asks is, "Am I dying?" It Which is very good. Is like this funny. whole sequence is a very good like for CC. Uh, she does that, and the friend's like, "No, of course not. I just love you so much." And she's like, "Oh, you want something?" Lauren Lane's performance in this whole sequence is so good. She has she very clearly is having fun with it. Like, yeah, and she gets to really play with a lot of different emotions. Like first, it's the deadpan, "Oh, I'm dying." Yeah, uh, and then there's the realization that it's because Fran wants something, and it is delightful. Like, she does the whole When Harry Met Sally thing of fake orgasm, just pure ecstasy yeah. at knowing that Fran has to kowtow to her to get whatever it is that she wants. And Fran is trying to encourage her to pick up the phone and call the Gentleman's Club, and there's a lot of great, like, physical comedy between Fran and Cece, a friend, like, pick up the f- come on, pick up the phone, and picking up the phone and, ha- you know, grabbing Cece's hand to having it mush the keypad. Please! Miss Babcock, pick up the phone. <coughs> oh, all right. <coughs> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <sighs> Hello, Dr. Bort. Cancel my therapy session today. I don't need it. <laughs> and it's very clear Cece is not going to give Fran what she wants. Because the inherent risk of losing $100,000, which is how much Maxwell is investing, is not as worthwhile to her as... Fran potentially losing her job for accidentally hooking up Maxwell with a hot dog vendor. Yeah, like Cece is giving up the home in Martha's Vineyard to have Fran fuck up this badly. And this is how, you know, she hates Fran more. Yeah, she hates Fran more. Yeah. So Fran does the only thing she knows how to do at this point. She's going to go down to the club and she's going to confront him. Ah, but, ooh, ooh, it's a gentleman's club. No women allowed. And it's not... 
Unfortunately, it's not Gentleman's Club the way that uh, nowadays when we say nope. Gentleman's Club and we mean, ooh, there's going to be some titties. There's no, there's no titties. No titties allowed, actually. Yeah, it is uh, anonymous are serving canapes. But the friends trying to get in. It's a men's only club. No women allowed. And the guy at the, the front desk says, no woman's ever figured out how to get into this I club. I loved that. Of just like, <laughs> be like, it's not like you made it a, like, ooh, there's a trap door. And your little girly hands can't solve the puzzle in time. Yeah, it's an enchanted lock that needs a magic key. <laughs> like, no, that's it's just a door, <laughs> my no dude. No woman has ever figured out. I'm like, no, women have figured out. You just won't let them through. That's not a thing yeah. to figure out. So as Fran, Fran is defeated and begins walking away. But, ooh, the guy at the front desk is watching I Love Lucy on TV. And this gives Fran an idea, I guess. Because now she's walking into the gentleman's club dressed as a man. She's got slick back hair. It's very clearly a wig. She's got a, a false beard and moustache on. She's wearing a suit. She looks. She looks good presenting, yeah. like presenting uh, masculine. I will say this: my I had trouble passing her in my brain, and I say passing p a r s i n g. She's passing, and that's causing me to have trouble passing that this is not Fran Fine. Mm-hmm. I I I struggled with it a little bit, yeah. but it's like it's also yeah. something that I noticed on there when she's like wearing the disguise. She also her face is darkened. Mm. Like, that was a thing. It was like, I don't know the uh, ins and out of there, but I imagine it's uh, just some down-home colorism of she is much paler normally, and when she's, like, trying to pretend to be a guy, she's wearing much darker makeup. I feel like part of it was was maybe some contouring to kind of change the shape of her cheekbones, Mm -hmm. Um, but it just meant that she looked like a very well-made-up man with a fake beard. Yeah. Yeah, and she walks in. Um, there's a lot of jokes about uh, how she's a man. Uh, nothing transphobic yet. We will get there. I yeah. promise you we will get there. Dear uh, God. There is a cocktail waitress there. And Fran is like, I thought they don't allow women here. And she's like, ha ha, except for the waitresses. And it's just that moment where Fran realized, oh, there's so much less work that I had to do. <laughs> It's even a thing where the actual waitress looks like looks Fran Drescher. Looks a lot Drescher. like Fran, yeah. So it's like, oh, this would have been an easy, clearly you are the type of woman that they hire for these things. They absolutely would have read you yeah. as a cocktail waitress. That has to have been some very deliberate casting. Like, that's that's a road not traveled. Yeah, and I and I love where they just very obvious, like, here's the obvious joke if we're going to be, mm. uh, she's going to dress up as the waitress. And no, she's not going to do that. She's going to dress up as one of the fancy, as some fancy guy. guys. Yeah. And then she orders a, I remember specifically her drink was like a Brandy Alexander and she wanted it in a parfait glass and I have no idea what a Brandy Alexander was. Uh, I'll have a Brandy Alexander skin milk and put it in a parfait glass. An indulgent classic combining cognac, cream de cacao, and cream is easy to make and even easier to drink. This would absolutely be shit that you would, you would fucking <laughs> love this Benjamin. <laughs> It's like a milkshake. Hell yeah. Fran's looking around trying to find Maxwell and she, uh, there's a lot of, uh, hey, I'm a guy now jokes in this sequence. Fran compliments the waitress on her makeup and then when another guy is giving her a weird look, she says, chicks love hearing that kind of stuff and then grabs her imaginary dick and then walks away. <laughs> um, there's another one where she's checking her uh, makeup and someone stares like, why Why do you have a compact? And she just makes it her phone. And pretends it's this little flip phone. Oh, 
Yeah, Marianne. Uh, cancel my appointment with uh, the professor. And she's looking around. She finds Maxwell and Glenn talking, smoking cigars, and talking. Uh, what are they talking about? Mostly just about the investment at first, and that's yeah. how Fran kind of sidles in. And they're like, "Hey, who the fuck are you?" Fran says her name is Ed. Just <laughs> Ed, Ed. Mister Ed. Mister Ed. The, the full name given is Wilbur Ed. <laughs> Yes. So Maxwell and Glenn start talking about Fran and Glenn asks Maxwell, you know, she lives in your house. She's very attractive. Have you ever dot, 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 question mark, question mark. And Maxwell says, well, you know. Fran is leaning because originally Fran was, had been like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to be off in the sidelines with him. But then here's this and be like, oh, I want to hear this. Um, but then right when Chester Miffield is about to start talking about it, uh, the waitress comes like, here's, here's your fancy drink. And she's like, no. Uh, but I have a wrap around my little finger, you know? Oh, yeah? Oh, yes, I say things to her like, uh, oh, but you are so much wiser than I am. Or, uh, oh, the, the children are so much more comfortable talking to you. <laughs> you know, rot like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this moment undermines the entire character for me because you can, because of this sequence, you can no longer trust anything Maxwell says. Yeah, I I did kind of read it because this takes place after he goes into that, after he had the moment that Fran didn't hear. Yeah. And she's like, what did, what did, what would, what'd you say? And Maxwell is like, oh, it's not important, but the important thing is I have her under my spell. And it kind of seems like he was doing some, like, showmanning and kind of, like, getting the fans like, oh, I might have been emotionally vulnerable, but I need you to know that I'm not whipped. So here's yeah. how I own her, actually. Like, that's what it kind of read yeah. as for me, like, him kind of... There might be some truth to it, but it's more of like, I'm telling you because I was emotionally vulnerable. And we're cis men. We can't do we that. can't do that. Anyway, Maxwell goes to give Glenn the check for $100,000. And Fran's like, no, you're not doing this today and tries to snatch it. Uh, a slapping fight ensues between Fran and Glenn. And the check gets, I believe, ripped in half. There's a lot of back and forth slapping and Maxwell is also trying to like get in because here's just this random person who's just preventing their transaction with like nothing, no reason There's for no it. reason. They don't know who uh, this man is. Ah, uh, and then Fran inadvertently like either elbows or punches. Punch, punches Maxwell straight in the face. Yeah. Fran continues to fight Glenn and like throws Glenn over a thing and then he passes out. You know, just, like yeah. in all gentlemen's clubs. Yeah. Everyone was very chill about the fight, which does imply that maybe everyone's, this happens regularly enough. This is what they're here for. But Fran uh, kind of sidles up next to where Maxwell is sitting and says, it's me, it me a Fran. And uh, you can't you can't do this deal because and, uh, Chester Meffield was like, oh, I thought that I was having a Mulan moment. <laughs> I had a Mulan time. Thank God. For a moment, I found myself oddly attracted to you. I thought, I thought twenty years in musical theatre had finally taken its toll on me. Because he was real horny for for uh, this short king. Sure was. Um, but yeah, Fran reveals that Glenn he works as a hot dog vendor. Glenn says something to the effect of, and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling cross-dressing nanny. Yeah, it's like this whole spiel where he goes like, oh, I was a Wall Street guy, but then I lost it all in the 80s, and now I just needed, like, I needed that investment, and then I could get back on top. 
and him kind of involved. I was like, it was a real investment. It would have been good. I was like, I don't have any reason to believe you. Yeah. Also, if you were a Wall Street investor and you had been, re- for, from, a, from a perspective of a, of a Wall Street stockbroker, had been quote-unquote reduced to selling hot dogs, would you do that where you are likely to see co-workers? No. Or former colleagues? No, you wouldn't. And so there's no reason to trust this man. Yeah. And then there's also the thing, which I believe this is a transphobia that you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Fran reveals, I am Fran. And Glenn Mitchell takes this to actually mean that it's the... He thinks that it is a guy cross-dressing as a woman rather than Fran is currently dressed as a man. Yeah. And that is... Uh, I will give it, uh, in fairness, that isn't the actual joke. The joke that... He makes, then he yells something about like, oh, I, I knew it because no real woman could eat six pounds of lobster. Yeah. And that's not the joke either. The actual joke is Fran whispering to Maxwell, well, I had a slim fast for lunch in a sensible dinner. <laughs> Which is funny. And I just love a sensible dinner is six pounds of lobster. Um, You've never eaten six pounds of lobster as a sensible dinner? That seems sensible to me. It's a very sensible me. dinner. Yeah. So that's the actual joke, but it does rely on this character being transphobic. Yeah. And it also, a lot of the fight between Maxwell and Glenn and Fran is kind of, the dialogue is, it's double entendre with the 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 other meaning resulting in everyone else who's in the club thinking that they are two men who are in a relationship fighting because this third man uh, is attracted to one of the both of yeah. them. And it it ends with Glenn leaving the club saying, Maxwell Sheffield was the man of my dreams. It, so now everyone in that club thinks Maxwell is gay. You know, the straight person gay panic situation because yeah. they're all now... And it's... This is my least favorite part of this whole sequence. Yeah, so and I'm being I, I would feel like the you. actual worst joke in that bit is then there's also a reference to crying game. Yeah, that uh, was in the post credits. The fact that they still kept it in is an issue. Yeah, you know, like they had the common, they had the good sense to excise it from the scene itself, but then they still had it as a post credit or as a, as as it played under the credits. You didn't need this, and it's such an unfortunate thing because I like if not really for that. Yeah. I am, like, yeah, a lot of it, like, relies on, like, kind of gay panic stuff, but it is not the landmine that I expect it to be. And I, again, I feel like a lot of the jokes, it wasn't necessarily just, like, the cheapest way that you can go for it. Like, it's not just the, I knew you weren't a woman because you ate more food and you presented it on ladylike manner. But going that step further of, like, no, the, the, it is her making the joke. Yeah. And be like, so much of this, I feel like, is handled surprisingly well, yeah. like better than I would expect. But then it's always that thing. And it's something, and you, a lot of times when you're watching a show like this, and you just go, you kind of have to win. So, like, when are they going to make the shitty joke, though? And then they do a bunch, a yeah. bunch of times. It's, unfo- it's, it's very unfortunate. It's, it would be very easy to look at this and say, well, it's a product of its time, and we can't really expect any better from a sitcom in 1994 and i think one of the things we have to keep reminding ourselves of is we fucking can like we we can and should demand better of our media pretty much all of the time this was only a few years before the start of will and grace you know and will and grace is has not necessarily aged well but it, will and grace is i think one of the first examples of 
gay characters, gay men in the uh, as a kind of a central focus. Yeah. And I mean, I would in fairness, I feel like Will and Grace also does a lot of the similar kind of yeah. jokes. It's like, "Oh, now the implication that like these ones are gay or like that is like haha, like it's the same kind of jokes still at that point, but yeah. it's different when you are at least centering queer people in in the space where they also get a chance to be people. Yeah. Whereas this doesn't. Yeah. So they are in the kitchen again and Maxwell and Fran are talking and Fran brings up the conversation that Maxwell had in the space of like, oh, you, I, you, I'm wrapped under your finger, aren't I? I can do anything just when you say this or this. And, uh, Maxwell's kind of like defending and being like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that. That's not real. And then Fran is like, oh, well, I have my own things that I can say and kind of gets Maxwell like paranoid about it. And then like eases, eases his assurances by being like, you're just, you're, you're such a fancy producer man and I'm just the nanny. And then I she could walks- never pull a fast one on you. And Maxwell's like, good, see that you fucking don't. And then Fran leaves and walks into the front room and says, <laughs> number 17 still works roll credits yeah so okay that's the episode yeah. what, do you, what do you think about it i'll be honest i was enjoying it up until the gentleman's club stuff a lot of the stuff of the gentleman's club has left a really sour taste in my mouth and really kind of the sitcom premise of oh no i've accidentally introduced my boss to a to a stockbroker and it turns out they're a hot dog vendor and they might be about to be conned out of some money there's mileage there. And I would even accept that there's a certain amount of mileage in uh, Fran having to dress as a man. Because I feel like she did a good job as the yeah, character Yeah, it was of fine. It. Like, it was so enjoyable up until they needed to comment on it. Yeah, the whole the problem is, is it's being made in 1994. The whole thing is predicated so much around so so many gender stereotypes and actual transphobia that it... it Everything I had enjoyed up to this point, it just, it just, all the air went out of the balloon, you know? And it's a real shame because I was, I was enjoying it. I was having fun. I thought Corbin Burnson was doing a good job. Like, I know I've seen him in other stuff. He's, he's, his acting is good. He's just broad enough to be an enjoyable sitcom actor, but he's also believable as the character that he's being. Um, the Brighton stuff was okay, uh, if a little contrived. Oh, we did, we did miss a bit at the end where, uh, oh, the boom gets his, boom, his, uh, boombox and playing out of the boombox is, uh, the hills are alive with the sound of music. Yeah. And he, like, stomps around with the, with the boombox. And then puts it back and says, Dad, get your own, get your own tape player. I, a couple more minutes and I could have been down the park with this. Yeah, I, it's, I was really enjoying it. And then that, that everything in the Gentleman's Club just kind of really, really pulled the rug out mm-hmm. in a way that I don't want to watch this episode again. Like I was really enjoying it. And then, and then it attacked. And I just, I, I, I don't like that at all. Yeah. How about you? I, I, I don't want to say that I give this episode more of a pass, but it's something where I think my bar is a bit lower mm. of, and you have every right to say like, yeah, it's, uh, we should expect more of our media. And I, I agree with that. It's, it's kind of one of those things where because it is so expected that they're going to do the horrible thing. Yeah. That every time that they, like, there's occasions where they don't do the horrible thing of like, oh yeah, this is enjoyable. Yeah. And then when they do inevitably do the horrible thing, like, okay, now it's the 90s and you have to do the horrible thing. Yeah. 
And so I think that that leads me to enjoy it a bit more. But it's always one of those things where when you look back on it and you just kind of like ignore those parts. And then every time I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why this episode makes me wildly uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I just I just don't want to have to watch it again. <laughs> like it just really yeah. that everything in the last like five, ten minutes just kind of really affected me in a way I didn't like. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a real shame, you know? Again, I think you are right that... It's 1994, they're going to do jokes about gender, if they, and particularly if they're going to do jokes about cross-dressing, it's going to go into that space. I just wish it wouldn't, you know? I I, 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 don't, I did not like this episode. Yeah. It was a shame, because I was enjoying it, and... Uh, so what are we watching next time? Next time we're watching Season 2, Episode 10, The Wine Cellar. Wine is spelt with an H. Uh, Fran and Cece find themselves locked in Maxwell's Wine Cellar. So this is, uh, this I guess a fanfic writer did this one? Yeah. There, yeah. There's only one bed. There's only one bed in the wine cellar. <laughs> so that's uh, that episode aired on November the 14th of Either that or it's going to be a cask of Amontillado reference. It could be both. It's not. But it could. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Out on Her Fanny. If you are enjoying the show, do please let your friends and family know. Itty bitty independent podcasts like ours live and die by word of mouth. You can find us on social media. The podcast is Out on Her Fanny on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, and you, our website is oofcast.com, O-O-H-F-Cast.com. Mandy, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at Mandy Quesadilla, Mandy with a Y, Quesadilla like the food. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can find me, I'm at Ben Padden on Twitter and Instagram. If you're going to Gallifrey One, the Doctor Who convention that happens in Los Angeles, I will be there with the rest of the Game of Rassilon crew, we are doing a live show at 6pm in Program B. Uh, we'll be playing the Doctor Who role-playing game. If you're going to be there, it'd be cool to see you. If you're not going to be there, it'd be weird to see you. Yeah, I'll, I'll also be there, but I'm going to be doing fancy cosplays. Mandy found out that uh, Eric Roberts is going to be a guest at the convention yeah! over the weekend. And Mandy's very excited about Stock that. Stock by my doctor. Yes. Just what the doctor ordered. Um, if you want to support us on Patreon, uh, I have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Padden. Money from that Patreon goes towards keeping us alive and a roof over our head. And we're very appreciative of anyone who uh, supports us on Patreon. Other than that, thank you so much for listening to Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I've been Ben. I've been Mandy. And yes, we, we do, do know, know it, it means, means vagina. vagina. Grand Geek Gathering